1 Corinthians 13 is where we're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Most of you already, as you turn your pages, are very familiar with what this chapter represents and what it contains. The word charity comes up. I didn't count them all, but many times, charity being the English word for the Greek word agape, or unconditional love. The love that Jesus showed us when he died on the cross, when he shed his blood for all men, all nations, all peoples, regardless of their willingness or refusal to accept him. It was unconditional. There was nothing we had to do to receive it. It was, it was poured out and given and demonstrated. And here this, speaker, this, uh, this word of love is put into our lives and the encouragement by Paul is to be broadcasted to others. We're going to talk a little bit about this this morning. If you found your place, 1 Corinthians 13, and if you're able to, I invite you to stand with us as we read a few verses from the Word of God in opening. And I'm going to hurry through a few verses and give little explanation to these just to set, us, set the stage for the middle of the chapter, which is where we're going to focus our attention on this morning. Verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... And remember that word charity, we could replace it with love. And have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me Nothing. So he says, if I don't have love mixed in with my giving and my teaching and the gifts that God has given me, basically he says, I'm just noise. I'm useless, empty noise. And then in verse number 9, he continues and says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part a good doctrine for preachers and teachers to accept. We don't know all truth, therefore we can't explain all truth. We're limited in our understanding. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. He says, when I get to heaven, I'll be complete. We'll, we'll, we'll have the fullness of God. When I, verse 11 says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Then look at verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. We're going to think about this subject this morning. Charity, the greatest. He says charity or love is the greatest thing that we can possess as believers. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, thank you. For the Word of God that instructs us, that leads us, and in this case so simply helps us understand your nature and what your expectations for us is. Lord, help us to be obedient to the gospel and to your word this morning. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I think it's safe to say there are two types of preachers. Those who admit their sermons are original and those who don't or won't. I'm going to this morning fall into the category of the former admit and admit that about a year ago I heard someone preach on this passage or this, this chapter and they explained it or, or just put it in a view that I'd never considered. But in that consideration, it, it really impressed me and impacted the way I view this. And hopefully, this morning when we dismiss, you'll have the same impact as I did. Not because of me, but the person who preached this was, was a good preacher. And probably the person he learned it from was good too. If we were to look right here in uh, the beginning of the chapter... Again, he says, if I have all these things, if I have the ability to speak with tongues, if I have prophecy, if I understand all mysteries, if I'm an expert in understanding the truth and explaining the truth and teaching the truth, but it's not done with love, it's not done with complete charity, he says very plainly and directly, he says, I'm nothing. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. This is the man who did many of these things. He did give his body as a sacrifice. He did give his life for the cause of Christ. But he understood, and here he's trying to help these Corinthians who struggled in this area because they wanted the gifts. They wanted the pride. They wanted to raise up themselves. And he said, lower yourselves and add charity. And if you miss that, you've missed it all. Now, let's understand just a few things. Number one, I think we all know this, but God is love. Charity didn't originate with man. It originated with God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, we'll read that in a little bit, but verse 8 tells us that God is love. It's a, it's a complete sentence. God is love. Therefore, love is godly. Love is pure. Love is holy. Love is eternal. Love is the nature and the character and the person of God. Now the world has falsely defined love. We're all familiar with this. They've replaced it with emotions and selfishness and lust. When you hear someone talking about their love for an individual in today's society, typically it begins or ends with some kind of a lustful passion and even uh, will, will find itself into perversion. Because man has lost the understanding of what God intended for love to be, and they've replaced it with something that they seek to fulfill themselves with. So, love is of God. God is love. We were created to enjoy love. Being created in the image of God, we now have a void without the very love of God. Now, most of us, or many of us, some of us, may not want to admit that Inside of us, there's a cavity that only love can fill, right? Especially men. Mainly men, the older they get, the, lack they, the less they want to talk about the need for love in their lives, right? But the reality of it is, if we are made in the image of God and God is love, God has put something in us that desires to receive love and desires to give love. It, it's needed in our life to help us, to fulfill us, to complete us. And it's also necessary, as Paul talks and speaks so eloquently here, that it's required to help others. 
Love is a universal language understood by all. We are commanded to love. Number three, let's think about this this morning. We are commanded to love. We're all familiar with Matthew chapter 22, but let's go ahead and turn there just as a reference. Matthew chapter number 22. We find the story of the Pharisees seeking to undermine the teaching of Christ, and he answered them where they had nothing to respond with. In fact, it says in verse 34, Matthew 22, 34, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. So here they are, they're all competing at who can make a fool out of Jesus. Now the Sadducees had been silenced, and the Pharisees were there uh, cooperating uh, some type of ingenious scheme to bring down Jesus. They just tried it again and again and again. And here in verse number 35, it says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer or a student of the law, a teacher of the law, he asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great uh, commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? Now, we know the story. We know the answer, which was from Jesus, so it's the right answer. I wonder, though, had we not already known this and someone were to directly ask us and require of us an answer, what is the greatest commandment? It may be something that we would stumble over. Obviously, the student of the law, this lawyer, didn't know. Otherwise, or he thought he knew, maybe. But he didn't think Jesus knew. It wasn't a common explanation in their day. So he thought, this is going to be my chance to fool Jesus. But Jesus answers, and we know what, it, what he says in verse 37. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, he adds to it, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he finishes in verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus did not merely command us to love our neighbors as we find a story that he continues this, uh, this speaking engagement with these men. Instead, he commands us to make all men our neighbors. So you remember the story where the, the, then they ask him, okay, Jesus, wise guy, if we're to love our neighbor, who is my neighbor? How am I supposed to know who my neighbor is? And he tells them this story about this man being beaten and, and left for dead. And after the Levite and the priest passed by, this Samaritan who had no uh, love for these, this other race, there was always a feud between the two, they were considered inferior to the Jews, yet he treated this man as his neighbor. Not because of a close distance or proximity of their dwelling. Not because they were friends, not because they were church members, but because Jesus was trying to teach us that in loving our neighbor, we need not just look to the person across the street, but we need to look to the person across the world and invite him to be our neighbor. Jesus taught of love in every act that he performed in every word that he spoke and he commands us to love now in first corinthians chapter 13 in the middle of the chapter where we'll put our focus on we find the command to love and we are informed to ask uh, we're, we're uh, impressed or, or required to ask now what is love what does love look like and here he explains it in verse number four he says, Charity or love suffereth long and is kind. 
Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not be, behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Now, if God is love, and love is needed in my life and yours, and if love is commanded from Scripture, then we are to love just like verse 4 through 8 describes. Now, if we were to look at these verses and we were to replace our name with charity, that's in fact what Jesus was telling us to do. This is in fact what the Bible commands us to do. Let's look at it again in verse 4. As I read, I invite you to follow along and consider yourself in this place. I suffer long and I'm kind. I envy not myself, I'm not vaunt, I, I vaunt not myself, and I'm not puffed up. I don't behave myself unseemly, I seek not my own. I'm not easily provoked, I think no evil. I rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. I bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. I never fail. That's tricky to even read out loud, isn't it? You say, that's not you, and as you're reading, you're probably thinking, that's not me either, right? You read this and you say, well, if I've commanded to love, if love is a part of now my spiritual nature through Christ, and this is expected of me, is the Bible inaccurate? Is this just some impossible command that God's accidentally gave us? Or have we failed to define love in its entirety and completeness. Let's look at these different things and think about them. We think about long-suffering when it says in verse 4, charity suffereth long. That's having or showing patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by others. Now sometimes it's easy to be patient when you cause the distraction or the trouble, but what about when the other person causes the distraction the trouble? You know, when you're at the red light and you are glancing at your phone and it turns green and the person behind you honks, you say, give me a break, I was only here for a second. But when it's the guy in front of you and he's there for a second and you're behind him honking, you're saying, are you going to spend all day at the green light? You know, sometimes we're, we're so passionate about being patient toward ourselves, but at the same time we fail to recognize the, the need for patience in others. But he says, love is long-suffering. See, we could put Jesus' name there. Jesus suffered long. See, Jesus and charity are synonymous. As we go through this, can you just simply put Jesus' name in there as we think about this word charity or love? So charity suffered long. Jesus suffered long. Charity is kind. You didn't need me to tell you this, but Jesus was kind. Kind, benevolent, showing courtesy and goodwill. Now, again, this charity isn't just talking about courtesy for your friends and your family. This is courtesy or kindness that we show to all people, to all men. That's exactly what Jesus did. When, the, when he met the Samaritan woman, he showed just as much kindness to her as when he spoke with his mother. When he talked to the disciples in their 
their, their frustrating conversations as they were bragging about themselves, as they were clueless to many of the things he was trying to teach them, as they made mistake after mistake after mistake, we see his patience with them. We see his kindness with them. Charity is kind. Jesus was kind. Charity envieth not. Envy or to be discontented or covetous. Sometimes it's not accepting the promotion of others. I was listening to someone just this week and he said, isn't it amazing in our churches today how, how we fail to desire someone else to be the greatest preacher or the greatest singer or the biggest church? We, we, we tend to want to pull down people based upon their ability because if they're a good preacher, it may make me look like a poor preacher, right? If they're a great singer, it may minimize or, or take away from my ability. But love says, I'm willing to make you better than me. Love says, I'm not going to vaunt myself or puff myself up, and I'm not going to envy you for it. Those are the next two. He, they vaunt, he vaunteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. Uh, love's not prideful. The very nature of Jesus while he was on earth was humility. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. To be, vaunt yourself or to puff yourself up is to boast of one's own accomplishments. Sometimes in the Bible we see the word vainglory. Giving glory to ourselves undeserving. Vainglory, it's, it's empty glory. Jesus never did that. Love never does that. Look at verse number, uh, number five. Doth not behave itself unseemly. We don't use that word much anymore. Today, if you look up a current uh, definition, it's not in keeping with established standards. So by today's standard, um, not behaving yourself, uh, behaving yourself unseemly would be getting within six feet of someone, right? Not washing your hands before you touch your food. That's unseemly by today's standards. Now just you know, six months ago, unseemly was just lacking courtesy or, or kindness and com with company, right? Just certain things that are maybe minimal uh, by themselves, but collectively they keep our society from becoming barbaric, right? But in these days when the Bible was written, unseemly was more like inappropriate behavior. It crossed the line. It, it, now, you say, not washing your hands before touching my food has crossed the line. So maybe it applies still today. But unseemly is, is crossing the boundaries, crossing the guidelines, crossing the rules. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't desire to always be pushing the envelope, as it said. Love doesn't desire to seek your own way with rebellion. Instead, love is willing to submit yourself to the rules. Love is willing to submit yourself to authority. Love is willing to obey. So it does not behave itself unseemly. If you haven't figured this out, Jesus didn't behave himself unseemly. He lowered himself and, and, and allowed the will of God to be performed outside of his own, now inside of a body, own earthly or fleshly desire to run from pain and run from the cross. But he submitted himself to the will of God. We see now it's in verse number five, he seeks not his own or love seeks not her own. Jesus never sought his own. Over and over he tells us throughout the book of John, if you're following along in the Bible reading, 
the daily Bible reading, you've just read these chapters where he said, it's not my message, it's not my will, it's not my teachings, it's my Father. Whatever the Father tells me, that's what I'm telling you. If you've hated me, you've hated the Father. If you've loved me, you've loved the Father. He never sought his own. He was never selfish. He was always selfless. He never required himself to, to get first place. All the way... It, now, this is just our nature, right? As human beings, our sinful, fallen nature. We are a selfish people. You watch children playing together, and you see from very, very young ages just a root of selfishness. And if that's not controlled, if that's not put into subjection, you see young people who are very selfish. You see young adults who are very selfish. You see adults who are in adult bodies but living like children due to their selfishness. And we see a nation, the America we live in, that's a very selfish nation. And God tells us that if we have genuine love, the love that God wants us to have, we are not selfish. Jesus wasn't selfish. Look at verse number 5. He seeks not his own. He is not easily provoked. He's able to peaceably degree, uh, uh, disagree. That was my thought. As far as, far as especially in this day of, of failure to have true, genuine dialogue, it's either my way or I'm not going to talk to you, right? That's, that's what we see in the news. That's what we see in a lot of these protests. That's what we see uh, all across the political world. Listen to me, and when I get done talking, you know, period. That's all we're going to talk about. It's my way or the highway. Now, love has the ability to peaceably agree. I don't always have to be right. I don't have to always tell you that I'm right. I can listen to your side, and even if I disagree, I don't have to make a big scene or a big deal of it. And it, may I remind you that Jesus never did that? Now, he called out the Pharisees for their, their doctrine that was evil. He got on to the disciples at times for their failure to recognize the truth and their disobedience. But it was never in a way that brought attention to him. It was in a way, a manner of love to try to help those people. Verse number 5, it continues by saying, he is not easily provoked. And now some of you are saying, that's definitely not me. He, it, Jesus was not easily provoked. Can you imagine living for these several years as you just were constantly followed by these, these groups of people that all they wanted to do was to tear you down. I mean, just everywhere you went. You went out in the field and picked corn, there they were. You know, they're, they're peeking behind the, the, the ears of corn, the, uh, the corn stalks saying, we got him, there he is. He picked corn on the Sabbath day. You, you find a man who's blind and you heal him. What a miracle. And the people rejoicing, and they said, we got him. He did it on the Sabbath day. He shouldn't have done it. I mean, that's how you spend your life. Just these, these groups of people, and then they start infiltrating these, these men attempting to disguise themselves. Remember, that's what the Pharisees did. They sent in these men who didn't look like Pharisees, hoping to catch him when he wasn't paying attention. And that's the life you're living. But did we ever see him lose his temper? Did we ever see Christ lack restraint or self-control with them? No, we never saw it, nor do we see love do that. It's not easily provoked. 
Love thinketh no evil. Now, not just thinking evil like having ungodly thoughts, but we don't think the worst in people. Isn't it so easy to be just this presumptuous, judgmental, we see someone and we immediately think, that's why they're doing that. We know it. We know why they did it, why they're going to do it, and why they didn't do what they should have done. That's just our, I, I, you're looking at me like I'm the only one that does this. No, I think it's in all of our, at least if it's not controlled, if it's not disciplined, it, it's, a, it's in our nature, right? We, we look around and, and there's somebody that you normally sit by and they're not, they're not here this morning. And you don't think, oh, I ought to call them because they might be sick. I need, to, I need to encourage them. You're thinking, I bet they didn't want to come to church because it's a nice day. They're mowing their grass, right? They went on vacation. They're, they're, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing on Sunday. That's natural for us. But love doesn't think like that. Love doesn't think evil on people. Love doesn't assume. Love doesn't presume. Love's not presumptuous. And then it says in verse number... Six, rejoiceth not in iniquity. Throughout the book of Proverbs, we find a phrase similar to this, that we're not to rejoice when our enemy falleth. Now, that's another temptation. You guys that are basketball players or volleyball players, you, you, we've been to volleyball games. I love volleyball. I love volleyball. You know I'm lying now. Sometimes you'll watch two teams. They could either both be really good or both really bad. And you, and you watch this display of... And it's not really the attempt to be better than the other person. It's the attempt for the other person to make the first mistake. And then we're going to cheer like we did something right. Right? Now, some of you that play volleyball, you feel like I'm mocking you. But I'm not really. But you've, we've all seen that, right? It's just this, this constant back and forth. And then the ball hits the ground because someone made an error. And the other team goes crazy like they just won the lottery. No, the person just messed up. And here you are. You're not showing love. You, you watch it, ladies. Come volleyball season. Same thing with the guys, though, right? We're playing in a game. Of, now, I'm not, I, I don't know that this is what it's necessarily talking about. But isn't it natural for us? We go through life almost looking for someone to fall in front of us so we can step on their back and get a little bit higher in life. We're looking for someone to make a mistake. We're looking for that person, you know, I'm ready for a promotion. If the guy above me would just, you know, have some kind of issue at work and jeopardize his career and get fired, I can take his, his spot. And the day we find out something bad happened in his life, we're saying, yes, I've been waiting for this. Right? But that's not how love operates. That's not how Jesus operated his ministry. It was always a desire to see the best in people. It was always a desire not for evil to come toward them, but for good to come toward them. As we go through this, you're probably thinking, yeah, this, this is definitely not me. I could never put my name in there. This is more like an antonym of, of mine, of my name. It's opposite, but it's exactly who Jesus was. Look at verse number 6. Uh, rejoiceth not iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Instead of rejoicing when there's a mistake or a sin or a failure, we're rejoicing in the positive. We're looking for good things to happen. We're looking for sunny days to rejoice in them instead of complaining every time there's a rainy day. We're looking for a success in a person's life instead of just seeking out their failures. Unnatural in humanity, but perfect in love. Verse 7 says, 
beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. To bear something is to carry it. Sometimes this, this word for bear, um, a, not the bear that's in the woods, but it's, it's a bear like a, a shadowing or a protector. We're protecting. A, a man that genuinely loves his family seeks to protect them. A pastor who genuinely loves his people seeks to protect them. A friend who genuinely loves their friend seeks to protect them. That's why, once again, if we look at the world's idea of love, it's opposite of this. Because if the world demonstrated love, there wouldn't be an attempt among um, married people to be unfaithful with another married person because they'd be looking for what was best in that person, not just to fulfill their own desires. This is why when a teenager tells me they love their boyfriend or girlfriend and you find out that they're sneaking around their parents and doing things that are inappropriate, that, that's called lust, not love, because love looks at another human being and says, I want what's best for you, and I want to protect you and shadow you, not with my own desires and passions, but with the grace and mercy of God. When a man or woman holds the place of an elected um, place of leadership or in our government, and they say they love America, or they love their community, or they love their state, and they're not willing to protect it, I question and highly suspect their genuine love for those people. Love wants to protect the person that they're showing that love for. They bear all things. They, they're willing to carry them through. I've listened to, um, uh, I, I love listening to different talk shows, and, and one, of, uh, one that I enjoy is, is different um, men or women that discuss finances. I don't feel like I'm adequate in understanding all there is to know about finances, so I listen to people smarter than me. And I've listened to people call into these talk shows and say, you know, I've got this debt from before I got married, and my husband or my wife wants to keep our funds separate, and, and they want me to pay it off with my income, and they're going to you know, pay their, off with their income. And I've heard a man say something similar to this frequently. He says, what happens when you get cancer? Is your husband going to say, you deal with your cancer because I have my own problems to deal with, right? No, you say in a relationship where there's love, whether you've got cancer or you've got coronavirus or you've got debt, we're going to bear this together. I'm going to shadow you and protect you through whatever comes into our life. That's exactly what Jesus did. He loved them all the way to the cross. They, he bears all things, love believes all things. Now, this is not gullible foolish type of believing. But this is the faith that says, I believe in a certain person or a certain organization or, or a certain group. And you say, I'm willing to, willing to stick my neck out for you because I believe in you. Even though you failed, even though you've disappointed me, even though you've made mistakes, I still have confidence in you. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. When we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, he died for us. When we had already failed the Father, when we had already broken the commandments, Jesus still said, I believe in you, and I'm willing to die for you. Love believes all things. Love bears all things. And then the third thing in verse 7, it says it hopeth all things. 
it has hope or confidence. That word hope often in the Bible refers to a confidence or a, 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 a sureness that something's going to come to pass. And love has confidence in the person to whom the love is being showed. It really is almost a, a synonym of this believeth. We, I believe in you and I, I'm willing to, to step out and just, just walk with you this, in this situation because I have confidence. I have confidence that this situation is going to go behind us. And I have confidence that we're going to overcome this. And I have confidence, not in myself, but in the Lord, that we together can fulfill his will. It believes all things, it bears all things. In verse 7, it hopes in all things and it endures all things. Love is enduring. Love takes challenges. Love doesn't stop when problems arise. When Jesus was there in the garden and the soldiers came to take him away, he didn't say, oh, it stops here, I gotta go. I got, a, I got a spot in heaven waiting for me. No, love took him to, to Pilate. When he was beaten and, and, and falsely accused, and as the protesters tr cried out and said, crucify him, he didn't stop there. His love took him further. And there on the cross, he gave it all. And there was no, nothing left to give. His love took him all the way to the end. Love endures all things. Now, if we were to put Jesus' name in all these, these places, we could easily read it. Jesus suffers long. Jesus is kind. Jesus envies not. He vaunts not himself. He doth not behave himself unseemly. Jesus seeks not his own. He's not easily provoked. He thinks no evil. He rejoices not in iniquity. Jesus rejoices in the truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And all of us could say, absolutely, I agree with that. The first one where it says, I, all those things, we all begin to question it. You put Jesus' name there, and we all unanimously say, that's right. No question about it. But if this same love that was in Christ should be in us, there's got to be some point, some connection that we've lost. There, there's got to be a bridge that could be spanned, and, and there's, there's got to be some kind of obstacle that we can overcome to make this work. What is it? These are all attributes of Christ. They exemplify Christ. And in Christ, love is perfected. But in me, it seems to be impossible. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. And John the Beloved, in many ways, answers our question. John chapter 4. In verse number 16. It says, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. Well, that part's easy. We've known the love of God. We've experienced it. We've seen it. Jesus, there on the cross, demonstrated his love toward us. And in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. We've known and, and we've, we've received it too. If you're here today and you're saved, you've received the love of God. See, salvation doesn't come without grace, but grace could never be given without the love of God. 
Because the love of God is what sent Jesus to the cross. And without the cross, there's no redemption. Love is at the center of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we've known love and we've seen love in God. Verse number 16. We've known it and we've uh, believed it. That God has to us. This love he has toward us. And then we, we already mentioned this phrase but it says in the middle of the verse God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him he says if I can put God in me and if I can find myself dwelling in God then that same love that God has is now in me if we were to go back through chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. We can't put our name in there. We could easily put Jesus' name in there. But we find it very difficult to put our own names in there. But what if we were to read through something like this? In Christ, I suffer long. In Christ, I'm kind. With God, I envy not. Through Christ, I vaunt not myself. With God's help, I I do not behave myself unseemly. If we were to read through verse by verse and point by point like that, all of a sudden I think all of us could say, I think that's possible. I think that'll work. I can't do it, but I know this is God, and if I'm in God and God's in me, I can't help but do that. We've all seen maybe ourselves or someone close to us Oftentimes it's our children. We see them get around a person or start listening to someone. And, f- and then all of a sudden we see their attributes start showing up either in us or our children or our, um, our friends. Uh, I can't help but think of some of our young men who mimic some of their basketball heroes. They, don't, they won't admit it, but all of a sudden, you know, they're wearing jerseys. They're wearing their hoods just like, you know, halfway, I, 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 halfway on the head. You didn't start that. Uh, you know, the, the Golden State guy did. Who, what's his name? They all do it. And now all of a sudden, we've all got to do it. We've got to wear their basketball shoes. We've got to say some, you know, cliches that they say. I'm not picking on you too much. But it's, it's easy. We get around these influences. Some, some influences aren't necessarily bad. Some of them are just annoying, right? You get around certain people, uh, you get around the likers, the ones that say like a lot, and all of a sudden you start saying like a lot, and it's like this and like that and like one of these and like like. And, and you say, can you, can you complete a sentence without using the word like? And they say, I, I like, I think so, you know? And you hear this and you think, who you been hanging around? And you get around that person, all of a sudden you find yourself doing it, right? Uh, in school, um, Brother Jason Hawkins can remember this. There was, there was a guy that all of us looked up to, and he used to make this weird noise. He would just randomly make this dumb, uh, like, sighing noise. And we used to do it just kind of, like, joking about it. And then before long, a few years later, we found ourselves all doing this. Oh, right? It was that. Um, because the cool, John's in the back laughing, too, because he still does it. And it, it started out as a joke, but we got around each other, and all of a sudden... The influence, right? You start influencing yourself and you start doing things that you wouldn't normally do. That's why we keep our, the influences of our children 
uh, we, we inspect them and we, we seek to keep an eye on them. You don't say, you know, Johnny's a real bad kid. He's disobedient. He throws rocks through the windows and he's probably going to end up in juvie. Why don't you go hang out with him, kid? No, you don't tell your son or your daughter to hang out with the bad kids. You say, look at them. They, you know, they won the spelling bee. They're, you know, they, they got straight A's. You know, they play an instrument. Why don't you go hang out with them? See if their influence can infiltrate, uh, infiltrate you and you start acting like the neighbor's kid who seems to be better than you. No, we may not say it like that, but that's kind of our feelings, right? We want the influences of someone better being a part of our lives. By the way, as adults, that's why we need to be careful who we listen to and who our friends are and what our company is. But with that in mind, if we could find ourselves abiding in Christ, if we could find ourselves fellowship, fellowshipping with God, if we could find ourselves daily and frequently in the Word of God and in prayer, all of a sudden the love that fills this book, the love that fills the presence of God, the love that fills heaven, all of a sudden starts infiltrating, uh, infiltrating our hearts and our lives, and we, by accident, just start showing it to others. Mark it down. You get close to God, and you can't help but love like God loves. If you have a, a, a rooted issue with all of these or any of these things, and you either don't want to change or you feel like you could never change, I can assure you the problem is not your upbringing. The problem is not your past sins. The problem is not your makeup or your genes. The problem is you don't have a close walk with God. You remember what happened to Moses. Moses goes up into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He's there in the, the presence of the Almighty. And until they told him when he came down out of the mount, he had no idea. But the glory of God was shining off of him. So bright, the people couldn't remember. They couldn't even look at him. They said, Moses, what happened to you? Co cover your face. You're too bright for us to see. He had no idea. But the influence of God was illuminating through him. We sing that song sometimes, channels only. I just want to be a channel. I want to be a conduit that the love of Christ may flow through me and flow out of me. We're living in a day among people who seek love, who desire love, who need love. And we have the opportunity to take the love of God and to give it to others. When we accept and embrace the love of God, we find the value of life and the power to love others and the key to making a true difference in our world. I encourage you today, evaluate yourself based upon this chapter. And some of us might have to say, I'm not doing any of these like I ought to. These are not a part of my life. Now you have an, a, a choice you can either say, bah humbug, and I'm just going to keep living my life. Or I'm going to be willing to admit and say, in my family, with my children, with my spouse, with my fellow church members, I have not demonstrated the love of God. God's love has been poured out to you. And he invites you to find yourself in and among his love. That, that love might be given to others. And I invite you to do the same today.